Okay, bam, and we're off. Amazing. You ready? Yeah. Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. Emily Perrin, been way too long yes. putting this thing together. You're catching me at a great time because I get to record this on a, on a Friday, and I call this No Filter Friday oh, because amazing. at this point, I'm so tired of biting my tongue. Mm. So usually when I'm in office, I'm like actually telling my patients what I think about their progress or really telling them about they didn't make the right choice with their surgeon or whatever. So hopefully you get the best out of me. Awesome. Hopefully our audience comes back um, <laughs> and listens after this. But this is going to be an awesome topic in terms of covering mental health. It's something that I've really changed my tune on as a practitioner. Before we get rolling, because this ain't about me, this is about you. Tell us about Emily Perrin. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. Jeez, where do I start? Um, I am a mental health therapist. I have a master's in clinical social work. There's a couple different routes you can go uh, to become a therapist, and I went the social work route. I loved it. Um, and I'm a mindfulness and performance coach. What does that mean? We can dive into that. We are going to dive yeah, into that. Um, and really, my background is in sport. I played college soccer at UVA. Go who's. Yes, Wahoo And then I coached collegiately at the University of Pennsylvania and then transitioned into this work that I do now. Um, I also have a dad that was a college basketball coach for the first 10 years of my life and has a PhD in sports psychology. So wow. um, I feel like I was very much uh, meant to, to be in this work in the world of sport uh, doing what I'm doing. Did you think about doing anything else ever? Yeah, um, I. it's funny. I actually wanted to go to physical therapy school for a little bit and uh, thought about being a teacher. And then, no, really, I mean, I, I obviously I got into coaching. Um, and when I was at Penn and I was an assistant there, I, I really did. I, I was doing my master's in sport management at Drexel thinking, okay, like I'm going to make a career out of this. Um, I'll be a head coach one day. And I just really, in the maybe second year of coaching, I realized like, uh, so little of what I love about coaching is the X's and O's and the recruiting. And especially at the college level, like recruiting is such a beast. And I just, I really didn't enjoy that part. What I really loved was the connection and talking to players off the field. And, you know, our girls were, they were at an Ivy league institution and they were, the most brilliant human beings, but I could just see the struggle to, to manage and maintain being uh, an elite competitor and the academic work. And that's when I was like, huh, how do we help them? How do we help these kids? Um, and so really that's when I, I left coaching and I made the decision to kind of pivot and go a different direction. Good for you. Um, there's so much that goes on between the ears of an athlete, yeah. let alone a hyper-intelligent athlete mm -hmm. um, or, or an overachieving athlete, even academically. So I'm not surprised by that. Also, what position did you play? I was a striker. You're a striker. Okay. So, um, you know, n no stranger to pressure, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so it seems like an outstanding fit. And I've seen you in practice. It's been unbelievable. Um, I'm really thankful for our dear friend, Cookie Carr, for you know, putting us, us together, yeah, yeah. Um, super awesome, and uh, a specimen in and of herself, mm -hmm. so um, shout out to Cookie Carr, but, yeah. but one of the things that you came back to, or you mentioned there, was mindfulness, 
it's such a buzzword, mm-hmm. which is unbelievable that, that it's gotten to that level. So few people, I feel like, know what the hell it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really because, you know, this is a 2,500-year-old concept. It comes from both Buddhist and Hindu philosophy. And as it's come to the United States, Western culture, mainstream culture, right, um, it's lost a lot of its real, real meaning. So to Hold def- on. What about Marcus Aurelius? <laughs> What about that guy and his stoicism? I mean, That's not mindfulness? It is. Yeah, it definitely. There's there's pieces of that, yeah, that okay. are definitely, Just yeah, checking. For sure. Um, no, you're spot on, Yoni. Yes. Um, so if we were to define mindfulness, I use uh, the definition from John Kabat-Zinn, who is the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, and he says that it is paying attention on purpose in the present moment without judgment. And so more often than not, when I come in to work with athletes and teams or organizations, and I just throw out there like, hey, what does it mean to be mindful? You know, if I were to ask you to tie your shoe mindfully, like what would that mean? More often than not, they can spit back to me like, oh, we've got to really pay attention. We've got to focus. We've got to be present, which is another concept that's like just thrown out there, right? Um, And we don't really associate this without judgment piece to being mindful. And that's a really critical part because it's the attitude by which we are present and paying attention. Um, So it's actually a really profound concept. And in any given moment, to be mindful is not necessarily challenging. But the problem is our brains, our minds are moving 100 miles a minute. And so to be able to step into that type of being uh, that presence can actually be really challenging. Um, and so that is like the foundation of all the work that I do. That is profound. Um, it, it sounds a little esoteric when you describe it like mm-hmm. that, right? Like, um, I want to know a little bit more concretely. Mm-hmm. And, and let's let's live in the world first of the patient um, and then get into the clinician or the mm-hmm. practitioner. Yeah. Uh, how do we do that? If you're mm-hmm. saying it's a positive, mm-hmm. right? Um, to be present, give me actionable items for that athlete that's laying on your table and either writhing in pain or struggling with Mm -hmm. some piece of the rehab process. What am I teaching them to be mindful? Yeah, Uh, that's a great question. And I think it's one that's super important to hit on because um, so much in, you know, this world, the mental space, sport performance, especially, um, we really have to remember we've got to move from concept, right, to implementation. Yeah. How are we doing it? Um, and so, what I will say is that, um, and I'll, I'll give this disclaimer because the reality is, is oftentimes mindfulness and meditation are thought of as the same thing. They are not. Um, mindfulness is, um, a way of being, right? It's a skill we can train. Meditation is a very formal practice that we can train mindfulness through. Um, I'll be very adamant and I always am very adamant. Like this work is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, there are times and places where mm, actually like to be mindful and, and to tap into our experience in the here and now is actually not the right decision. If we're experiencing heightened levels of anxiety, we're in a really dark place. So I will say that, but, um, you know, generally for any athlete and, a, and especially an athlete that is navigating injury, 
let's think about this and I'll, I'll paint a little bit of a scenario cause I think that will help. Yep. Um, cause I've been there, I've <laughs> torn an ACL, I've had multiple surgeries. Um, when you're on the training table, right. And you're at rehab or you're working with your PT and you're doing just the most mundane quad squeeze, right? There's like, nothing mundane about a quad <laughs> squeeze. Let's get that straight. I don't know what could be mundane about that, but okay. Yes. Leg lift to whatever, okay? Um, so yeah. for, for an athlete that has to just kind of be on that table doing that thing, the reality is, is that the only thing that's ever in the present moment is the physical body. The mind, our thinking has the ability to time travel. And so that athlete could in any given exercise while they're on that table, be thinking about all of the, what if, what if I never, you know, become the player that I thought I was going to be right? Like what if I never get back to where I was all the above, right? So the mind is, and I'm, I'm a very visual person. I think you can kind of imagine it as like the mind is like up here kind of doing its own thing, right? Above the physical body. So for those of you who are just listening, Emily just waved her hands wildly over her head Mm -hmm. when she said up there. Yep. So hands are over the head, (laughs) waving around like, and then you've got the physical body that's actually on the table in the present moment. Right. And so a really simple practice, that I give to my athletes, it's more of a reflection than anything is like, can you just throughout your day or even within a PT exercise or being at PT for the 45 minutes or 50 minutes that you're there? Like, can you occasionally tap into, huh, what am I thinking about? Yeah. Where's my mind right now? Is my mind going down the rabbit hole and thinking about all the what ifs, right? Um, Or is my mind actually connected to my quad right now? Which is, where my mind should be, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, talk about also like that, that's the heart of the mind-body connection, yeah. right? Um, and so really just, and again, I'm, I love to have athletes just doing that very almost informally, like really pausing and very literally asking themselves like, where's my brain right now? What am I thinking about? Yeah. Right? And then have them notice where the brain is. We don't judge that. And this is where like that layer of without judgment comes in because a lot of times, right, we notice, oh my gosh, I'm not thinking about what I should be and I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm going to beat myself up. Yeah. This shouldn't, like, I shouldn't have this problem, right? And so the judgment. And so in that moment, right, we're teaching this skill of more balance. Like your mind has wandered off. The mind does that, right? So just very kindly, gently connect it back to the quad. That's a rep. That's a mental rep of mindfulness right there. Okay. Um, That's really interesting. So, and you're saying that you're going to get better at that the more you practice. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what this reminds me of. Let's go. One second. This reminds me of being 13 years old and sitting in uh, what we call a Talmud class. Talmud, for those of you who don't know, is a book, a giant book that reads from right to left. All the writing is in Aramaic from right to left. There are no vowels. It's nearly impossible to read, let alone translate. And I'm a 13-year-old being told, hey, pay attention to this. And as I sat there and looked at that book, I would just hear myself say to myself, just God damn it, pay attention. Like, what are you doing? Stop thinking about ball or stop thinking about the girls or whatever. Yeah. And I would get, I'm like, why can't I pay attention? So what you're saying at that point, I should have said is, 
brain, it's not that big of a deal. Let's see if we can bring it back. Yes. And had I done that, I would have achieved God knows what. Yeah. And, you know, that little bit of, and and some of this that we're talking about really then starts to dabble into self-compassion work, which is like a totally different, oh my gosh, I I love it. And I think it's so needed for so many of us because uh, most of us are our worst enemies, right? Um, But what we're really getting at there, right, is changing the relationship that we have to our thinking, changing the relationship that we have to our feeling, to our behaving, right? And so we're changing that response, which can be a really profound thing, especially for an athlete who tends to sit in a place of constantly critiquing themselves, sure. right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's a skill. So yes, I, you alluded to the fact that the more that you do it, the better at it you get. Yes, the brain is a muscle. We know that, right? Neuroplasticity, it's fascinating. And so the more that we engage in that little process, I almost see it as like a cat and mouse game, right? Mm-hmm. You're just kind of like, where's the brain? Oh, there it is. Bring, Bring it back. back. Yeah. Um, the better at it you get. Um, and we're really, um, yes, we're training a couple things because that also is training your ability to concentrate and focus and be present. Um, and again, redirect the mind, yeah. have more agency about what you're actually thinking about, and then also change, again, how we're relating and responding to our own thinking. Okay, so how, how do I say that to my patient mm. without s- sounding like... My, my heads are in the clouds, right? Like they come to me for knee pain, let's say. Um, if they come to me for knee pain and I see them maybe wandering off, like how do I work that in so that I don't sound like a lunatic? Yeah, so I mean, this is something that I even as a therapist, I do with my clients. What are you thinking about? Uh, Ask them. In conversation. Yeah, love absolutely. That. Because, you know, we have to think of it this way. And this is where I love the translation to sport, Right. Um, let's take, you know, any middle school, high school athlete, like they don't just show up to practice with all the tools and the skills. Coaches have to teach them stuff. Right. And so it's the same thing here. And so by you engaging in just that little bit of like, Hey, what are you thinking about? That starts to get them right. Engaging in that process. And then you just have the conversation like, And I think you can keep it, um, depending on the age of your athlete, right? Um, You can keep it. I mean, I work with eight-year-olds that are doing this mindfulness, right? Sounds Um, brutal. And you can keep it really simple. Like, hey, you know, I know that a lot of times when we have an injury, it's really easy to, you know, have the mind wander off and think about, you know, all the what-ifs and be really worried about the recovery process and the comeback. And so, you know, something that can just be really helpful is every once in a while, like, can you just tap into like, what are you thinking about? What are you worrying about? Right. And just acknowledge that it's okay. And then see if you can just redirect. Yeah. It's not something. And again, this is, um, I have this conversation so often when I come in and work with teams and athletes, it's, you know, okay, great. You've taught us this definition, this skill, you've given us a thing. And like, I turn around the next day, like, why isn't, why isn't it working? I'm like, gotta work. Yeah. You didn't just, you know, I work so much in lacrosse, you know, this, like I joke all the time. I'm like, you didn't just pick up a lacrosse stick and be at Duke, or you didn't pick up a lacrosse stick and you know, a day later you're at Michigan, right? Mm -hmm. You work at it. And so that is, you know, this very quintessential, like we have to get those mental reps, those mindfulness reps, exercising what I call that mindfulness muscle. Okay. How do we, how does the athlete know? they're getting better at it. You know, I, I live in this world where I'm constantly trying to assess, intervene, 
measure again, right? So how do we measure our success? How does the athlete feel better about it? How does the therapist know they're getting better at, mm-hmm. at teaching it? Yeah. I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine. I was actually on her podcast a few days ago because she's a, a, a sports dietitian. And we were talking about how our society, our culture, we love to measure things, yep. right? We love data. We love intelligence. We, lo- we love it. love it. Yeah. And what I will say is this. One, we can't always measure. Uh, we have to measure. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay, but we can't. Okay. We, yeah. we can't always, right? But I think there is something really profound that allows us to see that we are making progress. And that is to, well, one, hopefully, right, when you're diving into this type of stuff, like, I am a huge advocate of, like, work with someone. Like, work with someone like me or find a therapist or a sports psych, someone that can really help you. Um, but two, the way that most people can tell that they are making progress with this stuff is that they come into some type of situation and they have a response that they wouldn't have had five months ago, Mm -hmm. right? They respond and, you know, it's a very simple, I'll use traffic as an example because I am, I have been known to have serious road rage, like serious road rage, okay? With you? And I just don't have time and patience for people who can't drive. However, very shortly into my own mindfulness meditation journey, I noticed I would get cut off or I'd be in rush hour traffic and I wouldn't be having that same visceral pissed off angry reaction, that gut, what we call autopilot reaction, right? To just respond. I would be a little bit more able to handle my surroundings, like what was going on. I would be responding more efficiently. Yeah. I wouldn't, it wouldn't really get to me. And so it's little things like that, that we can tap into and say, Oh, holy crap. This is making a difference. <laughs> I'm getting better. I love yeah. that. If you if you could just come up with a way to measure that, like, okay. hey, I freaked out three times in so, last month. Yeah, I mean, yes, and what I will do with a lot of my clients in a clinical setting, I mean, I even do this with, like, my coaching clients and athletes. It's like, get a journal and track it. I mean, there are certain, and especially, like, let's take anxiety because I work with a lot of people that have very chronic anxiety is like, yeah, you can actually measure that, right? Give yourself a scale one to 10. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so yes, in that sense, there definitely would be ways that if I was working with an athlete, we could track it and we could look at responses and trains of thought and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I think it's also, you know, this is, again, you're going to get mad at me, but like some, sometimes, right. It's more of a feeling. I'm not going to get mad. Uh, I'm just going to (laughs) breathe. I'm going to calm down. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's more of a feeling, mm-hmm. um, which is fair, which by the way, uh, there is as much as I love numbers because it shows we're getting somewhere. It increases patient buy-in, it increases therapist buy-in. There is so much of our world that is art, that is subjective, that yeah. is not measurable. And, and I, think, I think it's naive to just cross that off and say that that doesn't exist. So I can, I can definitely appreciate that. Let me give you a case that I'm currently struggling with and I'd love to know how the mental health expert would educate both me, clinician, and patient. Sure. Um, so elite level athlete plays a bunch of football on Sundays and he's coming back um, from his knee injury and he is crushing it. I mean, he's killing it. 
Uh, he's way ahead of schedule. We got to like rein him in hard worker. Um, and obviously a super accomplished athlete. I give him an elite level drill, which he has no business doing and he's not awesome at it. And it is over. The session's over because he's infuriated with himself and he doesn't realize that he is so far ahead, et cetera, et cetera. What can the therapist do in that instance? 25 year old athlete, 41 year old physical therapist. What do I do? Okay. So I love this because there's a lot of parallels to an athlete that's not injured on the field, throwing the ball away a couple times and then totally taking themselves out of the game. Yep. Also a lot of parallels to us as humans, people that just live our lives and make a mistake in the real world and totally for the rest of the day, we're done. Um, and this is why I love this work because there's, it's, applicable to everyone. Um, essentially what we need to understand is that in that moment, this athlete went through that drill and you're saying that they maybe completed it, maybe didn't, not great. Not to their level. Not liking. to their level. Okay. So really what we need to understand at a very, or I think at a very foundational level is that if we come back to this idea of being present and having the brain really uh, connected and in tune with where the body is in time and space. Clearly, right. Something is going on where his brain, his train of thought has totally derailed, right? It's gone off to some type of, and I call this a lot of the times the rabbit hole, right? It's, you know, at the typical, like hopefully everyone that is listening has seen Allison in Wonderland, right? Where she kind of like you know, curiously starts to like peek down the rabbit hole and then all of a sudden she's at the bottom of the rabbit hole, right? And that's, you know, I think many of us resonate with that, with our trains of thought, right? And so this athlete's train of thought has clearly just plummeted, okay? And what I think can be really helpful and one, we need to understand that that's a real experience. That's a real experience for every single person, Um, It's so easy for us as potentially the PT or anyone watching the scenario to be like, don't worry about it. No big deal. But it is a big deal to that athlete. You know, we need to, we need to acknowledge that. And so what can be really helpful is um, really, again, coming back to this idea of like, okay, how do we help this athlete view their experience or step into their experience from a more mindful lens? And so I kind of think about it almost as like, we don't as humans live our day to day from a mindful lens. We just don't. Um, it's not possible to be there a hundred percent of the time. I just kissed the mic. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I got really excited. Um, and so we very much have to make the conscious and intentional transition to mindfulness. And I'm like putting a kind of a fake cap on right now, like almost like putting your mindfulness cap on. Right. And so by the way, I see you doing that, and I wasn't sure what you were doing. Yeah. So I'm glad you... Yeah, I'm putting a cap okay, on. Mm-hmm, the mindfulness cap, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, in this instance, right, what can be really helpful is to um, almost allow the athlete to come back into the present moment, right? So understanding and, and even coming back to a little bit of the exercise that I was giving earlier, which is this like, where is the brain right now? right? We're not going to judge it. We're not going to beat ourselves up over it because we're already doing that. Chances are, right? We're just going to acknowledge that. We're going to take a deep breath and we're going to come back to 
the present moment. Um, now that in itself, I mean, I can work with athletes on that for six months before, you know, that's a well-oiled fine-tuned machine, right? Um, from a physical therapy standpoint, I think what can be really helpful is understanding that again, the only thing that's ever in the present moment is the physical body. So can we get this athlete in some way, shape or form to get out of their head a little bit and back into their body? And so can you have the athlete take actually a little bit of a pause can you, I don't know what the exercise was. Maybe you could give me a little context. Like, was there a football involved? Put the football down. Step away from the drill. What are you thinking about right now? Where's your train of thought? You don't need to tell me, but just like, can you bring again a little bit of that uh, concept, that skill of mindfulness to just notice where the mind is? Don't make it wrong. It's not wrong. You're pissed off. It's okay right? Um, that's a valid experience. Um, and then allowing them to take a little bit of that time to process, right? We need to also understand that like coming back from an injury is a process. It's a journey, right? And so this is part of their journey. Um, and then really just helping them kind of feel their way back into their body. Something that I love very simple is like, can you help an athlete just feel their feet? Um, this in a very literal sense, like that's grounding. What it means to ground is to be, um, and feel very connected, um, mind and body. And so can you help the athlete just feel their feet? Oh. Um, so, um, is the athlete in shoes or not? Never. Never in shoes. I love it. Okay. So that's even better. Right. Um, so very simple, right? Like have the athlete like, okay. So, and again, I'm building on this process, right? So I'm good. Yeah. But I'll make it, I'll make it more complicated because we're on the field. We're, mm-hmm. we're running a complex W drill. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's in cleats. Mm-hmm. Those shoes ain't coming off. Yeah. So the dude happens to train barefoot a ton, but mm-hmm. let's do it. He's wearing cleats. Let's make cleats. it as complex so as possible. Yeah. Right. Um, and so this is something that like what, what I will say, right. And I know I'm trying to give, um, uh, information to PTs, right? Yep. Um, some of this is like, well, uh, the reality is, is that being able to, people think that feeling your feet is really simple, but it can actually be very complex for many people, right? Sure. Um, so this might be like a continued process for a PT and athlete, right? Um, but in a very literal sense, right, we can hopefully get to the point where we can connect with our feet in any given moment. And so something that can be really simple for an athlete that's in cleats is like, okay, can you wiggle your toes? What sensation can you pick up? Can you pick up the pressure? Can you pick up the movement at the knuckles? Can you feel the big toe? Am I doing this as a PT on the field? Um, I would say no. Okay, Um, tell me what I'm doing. Because um, hopefully, right, like this athlete is – working with someone like me. No, I'm just yep. kidding. Um, you but you know, this is, um, something that would hopefully be like ingrained in the athlete's routine. Um, I mean, I, actually, let me take that back. I mean, you could totally do this as a PT, um, because you know, I think what, and what I love about you guys, true sports, right. Cause I've, I'm a client of yours and I know you guys like as friends and professionals, like you do really, you go above and beyond. Right. And so this could absolutely be something that, um, especially if your athlete is feeling and and you're watching, right. Your athlete's body language, just totally take themselves out of it. Like, I really believe that like the most efficient thing in that moment is not to get them back on the line and do the thing. Like again, right. Like step away. 
right? Pause. Pause. Put the put, put the football down, right? Um, pausing is actually a very radical counterintuitive thing because mm-hmm. we're shifting away from go 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 go, which is where we live our lives. Yeah. Um, pausing is really what allows us to step into presence, in my opinion. And so having that athlete step away and then say, hey, okay, you know what? Take a deep breath. Where's your mind right now? Right? Coming back to that like cat and mouse game, like where's the mind? Don't make it wrong. Right. Just kind of acknowledge where your mind is at right now. It's okay. If you're kind of pissed off and you're beating yourself up, it's okay. Let me try something with you. Or are you willing to try something? Um, I'm a huge advocate of like ask athletes, not every single athlete is into this. So ask them, right. Would you be willing to try something with me? Right. Okay. Let's just see if right now, right. You can collect your attention and you can focus for 10 seconds on the feeling of your feet. Wiggle your toes for me. What do you feel? And and you can even have like a lot of times what I'll do when I'm working with a, a pro athlete, especially is I'll have this conversation out loud with them so that they're not going through it alone in their head. Like, talk to me. What do you feel? Well, I feel all of my, the little knuckles moving, right? I feel the pressure, the contact of the big toe coming down. I feel actually a little bit of squeezing because my cleats are a little tight, right? Okay, great. So what you just did is you redirected that athlete's train of thought, their attention from going down the rabbit hole to my feet. I love it. So what I just heard, and I'll tell you how I would do it and you can critique it. Yeah. Um, number one, don't minimize. Yeah. Right. Number two, pause. Yeah. Just take a break. Three would be potentially some type of deep breathing with four being grounding them, however you're able to accomplish that. So what I would do in this instance, I know he's listening to this pod, so I'm not gonna be able to do it, but what I would do is when he gets upset, frustrated, um, one, don't be like, dude, it's not a big deal, which is usually what I do, but say it's not a big deal, so now that I've learned. um, So I wouldn't say that, but rather what I would do is see if I can just give him space for a heartbeat then kind of come in and that's my pause and then kind of come in in terms of deep breathing maybe it's directed deep breathing so it's like let's just pop on your back um do some diaphragmatic breathing just part of the exercise i don't need to get into what's going on between your ears maybe it's that yeah um and then a a, a close second would be let's just i, I want to superset some some balance work here what do you feel working there like what do you feel when you were on single leg maybe you're still in your cleat and then so maybe that if there is um, any type of stigma between, wait a minute, am I working for what's below the neck or between the ears? Maybe that peels it away, but still able to use some of those tools that you shared. What do you think? Yeah, I love that. Um, and I think it's fun because we're kind of workshopping this, right? And a lot of, um, so much of this work when you get into it, and I even, I emphasize this with my athletes, like there's not, there's a lot of different ways to get at the same thing. And really understanding that you have to find what resonates and works for you. And I would say that that's the same message for PTs and how they relay that and work with their clients with this stuff. Um, I loved what you just said. I think that's a really great um, way to, um, I mean, geez, we don't even probably have time to get into some of the breath work piece of things, but like the breath, breath work in general is so profound. Um, And again, I kind of classify that as, mindfulness because it is, um, you know, that can be 
the, the, the breath work and the pausing can be something that I think all PTs are implementing that can be really helpful. This is, this is where I would highlight, and I open with this a little bit at the beginning of the pod, like where I've begun to change my tune. Coming out of school as a younger PT, I thought everything you were just saying was freaking garbage. And then, <laughs> and it's Friday. And then um, <laughs> it's crazy now how, like I said, mindfulness has become a buzzword. But also when you look at some of the research that's being produced on when you say breath work, but just understanding diaphragmatic breathing and how to go through that and physiologically what's transpiring, right? And that's the world we live in, for better or worse, um, is anatomically, physiologically what's transpiring the the effects are unbelievable so when you listen to like the big dogs of the research world andrew huberman's of the world which who by the way cookie Carr introduced me to andrew huberman stanford connection but that's right yeah but that's all he talks about it's all he talks about it's really cool um so when we talk about this breathing stuff that's totally solid you want to hear the second thing i really changed my tune on yeah um dry needling I mm. like when I came out of school and my boss at the time was telling me about needling. I was like, dude, you are an idiot. Here's why. <laughs> Here's why I said that because I've literally watched acupuncturists treat disc herniation and bulges, having the patient stand up, bend forward at the hips. Oh, you feel that shooting down your left leg. Okay. Well, we're going to needle you in this position. I'm like, what are you doing to that person? But you look at the literature, I mean, if you just have the humility to say, hey, I was wrong about that, like SI joint dysfunction, like we can't palpate it. <laughs> like I was wrong. So coming around on that is another thing that I totally changed my mind. That's a whole different episode. Maybe we'll get to it. Maybe the producer will cut this entire thing out. I don't know, but maybe worth mentioning, <laughs> um, but I digress. Okay. So, so that's how I would use it. Um, I think that's super helpful to know that that's somewhere on your radar. Um, I want to shift focus a little bit um, to being a sports PT professionally, to the professional side. Talk to me about what the word burnout means in current mental health literature. Yes. So, um, uh, gosh, and you guys are... um, Burnt out. Here's... (laughs) I mean, burnout (laughs) for everyone, I will say, is um, it's real. Um, so burnout, hold on, you're going to have to cut this You're good. and edit it. Don't minimize burnout. I don't know where I had it. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, ready? I'm ready. Okay. So yeah, burnout. Um, also kind of a buzzword, <laughs> um, burnout, uh, and I like, um, Herbert Freudenberger's, uh, definition. Um, it basically has three components. So the first one is that we are emotionally exhausted, which is fatigue. Mm -hmm. We're exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really a lot of burnout came from, or is centered around professionals that have to care. (laughs) And so a lot of times it's called compassion fatigue. Mm. Um, But we also know that it doesn't necessarily have to come from 
caring and compassion. Okay. Um, the second piece is depersonalization. And so that is kind of like the depletion of empathy. Um, we just start to not care. The last piece is decreased sense of accomplishment. So nothing I do matters. I'm not really making a difference. Now that is a definition that has a lot of complexity to it, right? And I think this is where, you know, people feel like they are emotionally exhausted, tapped out, burnt out, but maybe don't meet all three of those requirements. I'm certainly not going to sit here and say, you're not burnout. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and this is where, again, like even as a mental health clinician, it's like, we love to, we have to diagnose things and things have to fit in boxes. And I just don't, I don't jive with that. I don't, it doesn't feel right to me. So I'll just throw that out there. But, um, you know, I think in terms of burnout rates right now across all professions, we're at an all time high. I'm not surprised by that. Um, I, I do feel like our levels of activity just as a, as a society have never been higher. And I'm sure in five years from now, it's, it's going to be worse than it is today. So I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. Um, what do we do about it? Yeah. So, well, let's first, let's back up and, and also talk a little bit about like what you might, because I also probably, and you probably see this, right? You probably have a lot of PTs that they are in burnout and they sure. don't even know it. Sure. And the crazy thing is, is that it can look and can look like a lot of different things. It can manifest in a lot of different ways, but I'll give you some just general broad brushstroke uh, ways that burnout can manifest. So obviously the first one is you're exhausted. And typically the exhaustion is the type of exhaustion where you're sleeping an adequate amount and you wake up and you are still trying to peel your eyes open. Um, so it does not matter how much rest you're getting. You are still feeling so tired. Um, yet the funny thing is, is that a lot of people are so, so tired, but they really struggle to sleep. There's sleep disruptances. So that's either they can't fall asleep. They don't, they're not sleeping well. So they're not sleeping through the night. Um, they can't nap all of the above. Okay. Um, the emotional toll, right? This is a lot of times experienced as lack of motivation, just no desire to do anything, even when you absolutely love your job, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, I I am coming off a little bit of burnout. Like I wake up every single day. I love my job. I love what I do. And I had burnout, right? Um, And so that's can and a lot of times we see that in just little things, even things that are not work related, like really struggling to just like get laundry done or unload the dishwasher, stuff like that. Um, digestive issues. It's a big one. Um, just mood changes, right? You can experience heightened levels of anxiety, really low, low mood, irritability. Um, uh, a lot of times people's immune function will be down. So they'll get sick. They'll have uh, random soft tissue injuries, um, headaches, all the above. Okay. So those are some things to kind of like be looking at. Um, What do we do about it? Jeez. If I could solve that, I'd probably. 
you're, I'll, I'll cut you off just for a second because it reminds me of an interesting conversation that I just had. A, a buddy of mine um, is, is a high-level eye surgeon, and we were talking about, I had a concussion patient, so I was talking to him about some visual disturbances. And then we started talking about, um, I wish I remember the, the clinical diagnosis, in which the layers of the retina will actually begin to get kind of stuck to one another. And we were talking about interventions for that, and he said they do the absolute best with mindfulness, with breathing, with meditation. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? That's insane. But mm -hmm. I bring that story up because this is a guy who's dying to inject eyeballs and perform <laughs> surgery on eyes. And he's saying, like, we can't figure this thing out. They do better with mindfulness breathing. So when you talk about the mind-body connection, I'm not surprised to hear you say, hey, burnout goes to eventually soft tissue injuries, right? So, so he said he'll have patients walk in with that presentation in their eyeballs, and he'll say, hey, anything stressful recently? And every time they're like, yeah. yes, something insane just happened, and my eye decided to constrict because of it. Yeah. It's wild. So the lesson is when you're interviewing that patient, you're doing the subjective, you know, why do they have Achilles tendinopathy or why is their knee killing them or why did their ACL blow out? Maybe there's some of this. Absolutely. There absolutely is. Yeah. Because the mind and the body are working on a feedback loop. They're constantly talking to each other. Um, and yeah, I think it's really important for you guys as PTs to, to understand that and to, and to, to, to ask about that. Um, because that is a part of the puzzle in the equation. Yeah. Um, and right. What you're alluding to is that, Hey, this stuff, mindfulness, meditation, breathwork, yoga, um, which yoga gets a bad rep, but really what I just mean is mindful movement. Um, which, you know, I think you guys are doing a lot of that yeah. to be honest, um, is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just get them moving, which is mindfully, which is why we say that movement is medicine. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's really interesting. Okay, so let's bring it back to the PT. The PT within our field, it's crazy to see this outpatient sports PT model, or by the way, even worse is inside an organization, like you're working with a pro-level team, the hours are yeah. just lunacy. But let's say you're in an outpatient clinic and you're working your 12 to 8 shift and then you have the 7 to 3 shift the next day. That's easy to get towards burnout. Give me a routine that's going to either prevent or treat my burnout. Yeah, so um, I think the – and I love my visuals, metaphors, analogies – what we have to think of is stress, burnout. It's like a bucket. So if you're listening, picture a bucket, any type of bucket, it doesn't matter. And life, things, stressors, whether they're good or bad, are constantly being put into the bucket, right? That 12 to 8 shift and then that 7 to 3 shift, right? Things are constantly going in. And if we are not slowly draining the bucket daily, What's going to happen to the bucket? It's going to overflow. That's when we hit burnout and stress and all the above. So I really emphasize like this has to be, especially for those of us that, because to be fair, like mental health professionals are very similar, right? We're just accumulating people's thoughts and feelings all day long. Like if we're not draining the stress bucket every single day, then yeah, it is going to overflow. So I have always been, and I think this is where 
the self-care movement has done us a little bit of a disservice because self-care I think has often been sold as well we need time and it's got to be this lush luxurious thing and it really doesn't um I am so much more I, I want you to be consistently in short increments of time draining your stress bucket it does not have to be this hour long 45 minute long thing that stuff is great if you can go to a restorative yoga class or go do whatever. But more often than not, you guys don't have time to do that. Your turnaround from that 12 to 8 shift to then be there because 7 o'clock is not 7 o'clock. It's up both, at 5. Right. Yep. You're up at 5, right? So this is an ongoing cycle that you have to be doing regularly and consistently. So let's kind of go through um, – a couple of my favorite practices that um, really help with stress reduction, which is what we're kind of getting at, but also just the actual managing of our mind, our body, and emotions, which is mindfulness, right? So let's start with uh, the exercise that I gave you uh, minutes ago, right? Which was this cat and mouse game of like just checking in periodically with like, hey, where's my mind at? That is something that you can do as you're working with a client, right? That's something that we can do in the run of day to day. And I think for PTs, that's actually, I mean, even like mental health clinicians, that's something that's a really good habit to get into because we also have to remember that if your brain is constantly go, 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 like to-do lists, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to get this, okay, this patient needs this, yada, 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 right? You have to remember that's impacting your mind-body system. We have to really think of it as the mind-body system, right? So you're just keeping the wheels spinning. You're adding to that stress bucket. And so can you tap into that train of thought periodically throughout your day? And can you, right, play that cat and mouse game of, oh, man, I'm really going off on my to-do list right now. Okay, let me just take a deep breath here. (laughs) Let me push pause for a second. Okay, now let me return, right? If you do that four or five times a day, you're interrupting that go, 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 that autopilot that, you know, that's adding to your load, right? So that's number one. And so that's a, I mean, I try to do that at least once an hour. Where's my mind? What am I thinking about? How am I doing? Okay, number two, um, we really want to emphasize what we call down-regulating practices. So again, we have to think all of this, the stress, the burnout, we're talking about the nervous system. And so with the nervous system, essentially we've got upregulating practices, thinking of that sympathetic nervous system, right? That what a lot of people think is fight or flight response. This is what athletes tap into when they're uh, in performance. This is where PTs are when they're on the go, 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 right? It's not bad. We need it. But in order to combat burnout and stress, we need to shift out of it. And again, that doesn't take long, but we have to consistently be doing it. So we're thinking about down-regulating, shifting the nervous system from that sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state. Um, We don't need to go into more detail than that. Um, And the cool thing is, is that mindfulness, meditation, breathwork, and yoga have all been shown to do that. that. I love that. Um, I do want to get into the weeds on it. Okay, so okay, let's do I, it. it's, I just worked my 12 to 8. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if I'm lucky, 
I saw a patient every 45 minutes yeah. from 12 to 8. If I'm not lucky, I saw a patient every 30 minutes or every 20 minutes. So I'm done with my, call it 25 visits that day. I get home. I throw some food. I shower. I go to bed. I wake up at 5. I'm back in the office. It's 7 o'clock. And I have slated for myself, let's say we're at True Sports, a 7 a.m., a 7.45, and an 8.30. Tell me what I do at 7.45. I'm thinking either it's happening while I'm stretching a hip. I'm going to take a couple deep breaths. I'm going to make sure they're diaphragmatic. I'm going to try to downshift. Or I'm going to get religious about it being in between 7.44 to 7.45. I'm sneaking behind the leg press and I'm doing some deep breathing. Mm-hmm. But give me another idea. I love that. So yeah, you're essentially getting at there's there's two ways to do it, right? And I think about this even in my life because therapy's the same way. You're seeing clients on the hour every 50 minutes. You have mm, essentially eight minutes to get notes in and to grab a snack, grab dinner, right? And then you're on to the next one. So um, route one is okay. Are you consistently carving out little moments of time throughout your day in the run of your crazy schedule? I think that's a yes. And are you also at the end of the day or at the start of the day, are you implementing something that's helping as well? What are they? Yeah. What are they? So at the end of the day, I mean, one of my favorites is, um, just getting my legs up the wall. Um, for those of you that follow me on social media. It's all over the place. I have my athletes do that. Um, and you don't even have to actually like sit and throw your legs fully up on the wall, put, put a couple pillows under them. Like it, it is that very quintessential, like get off your feet, get your legs up, relax. Right. It tends to be for most people, a very soothing grounding practice. Um, there's also the logistical pieces of it, which is you're getting blood flow, right? You guys are probably on your feet all day long. So you're getting blood flow, lymphatic flow back towards the heart, which is where it needs to be. Um, and twofold, a lot of times when we're in that position, it's really, um, it can be really easy to focus on the breath and add breath work or meditation or a visualization in. So you're killing two birds with one stone essentially. So five minutes, eight minutes, 10 minutes, the end of the day, you get home, dedicate. So say, okay, so I'm absolutely starving at the end of a shift. I get that. Right. So, okay, go eat your dinner, go shower and then say, okay, I'm going to set my timer. I'm going to go five minutes. I'm going to put my legs up on my couch and I'm just going to, and you don't even need to, to do more than that to start. Like don't, I'm such an advocate of like, you don't need to move a mountain today. Like baby steps. So just get your feet up for a little bit. Like you can even scroll TikTok, look at Instagram, continue watching your TV show or finish your notes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, adding a practice like that can be phenomenal. If you are a meditator, that's when like for me at the end of a day, um, that's cause I also really struggle with sleep. I'm putting my meditation practice, my more structured practice at the end of the day. That's one way to do it. But if we're talking about the in the run of the day, yeah. um, what you mentioned is phenomenal. I love it. Um, I What did I mention? I blacked out. The, <laughs> the, the breath work. Okay. Um, so like, you know, I've got 30 seconds, one minute here to go behind the leg press and, and do what that. is it? What am I doing? Box breathing? Pyramid so breathing? What am I doing? I, okay, to start, like breath work is... Um, we need to, unless you have experience with breath work or you understand 
breath work, I think it's really important that a, you get a little bit of information on it because it is, it can be very sensitive. The nervous system can respond to it. And so there's a lot of people. And the reason I say this is because we're, we're literally living in a time where anxiety and stress and panic are at an all time high. And for most people that are experiencing heightened levels of anxiety, breath work is not okay. Might not be for you. It it makes people more anxious and mm. more nervous. So that's not really a practice that I would steer you towards. I would steer you towards maybe potentially more body based practice. Um, so it's the, and this is the hard part. It's this all of this is so nuanced, and so a lot of it is like trial and error. You've got to really figure out what works for you. So if we are going to go down the breathwork route, which is not bad, um, a really simple practice is just being able to feel one breath. You don't need to necessarily dive into changing or altering or holding, right? Because again, those are actually can be more advanced practices that like, I mean, again, if we get back to that anxiety factor to tell an anxious person to then hold their breath could be like the worst thing on the earth. So can you get them to just, or can you as PTs, like, can you just feel one breath? And yes, if we're talking about that more diaphragmatic breath, yeah, what, what really is fun, it's a fantastic, I think I did this in the session that I um, had your PTs in, right, is actually to um, play around and try breath work on your side. So when we lay on our sides, the belly hangs out a little bit, right? And that can be really uncomfortable for people because we, we also live in a society that's like, suck it in, hold it in, right? Mm -hmm. Ab six pack. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) when you lay on your side though, and you think about this, like in bed, right? The belly has real room to just totally let go. And so if you lay down on your side and you take a couple of what I say, just more deliberate breaths, you don't even need to make them like super big or again, hold the breath, just more deliberate breaths, really allowing the bit, because in order to take a diaphragmatic breath, think about it, the belly has to go somewhere. (laughs) The diaphragm pushes down, the lungs expand, the diaphragm pushes down the belt. Where's the belly going to go? It's going to go out. So even just being able to connect with that process as you're literally sitting with a patient or watching a patient, cause you can do that, right. Can be, um, it, we get back to that bucket analogy that can be a little bit of a drain, right. Yeah. If you're draining some of the stress out. So connecting to that, just feeling of the breath, um, trying to allow the belly to really relax. And again, um, a cool way to explore that is in that sideline position. Um, that's also something that you can do with your clients, um, if they can get on their side. Right. Um, but yeah, so throughout the day, really tapping into, and this is where I'm like, use technology to your advantage. I'm not kidding Yoni for the first when I was, so I studied meditation with, um, a former Buddhist monk for like a year. And in order to get some of this stuff ingrained in my head, sticky notes, set alarms on your phone, right? Do you have a smartwatch? Can you, can you set an alarm, right? So if you see a client from seven to seven forty-five, know that maybe from the client walks out the door, seven forty-five to seven forty-six, you've got to go do something or clean up or whatever, like seven forty-seven, you, you've set your alarm so that, Oh yeah, I got to breathe. Oh yeah. I need to just sit down for a second. Oh yeah. I need to check in. Where's my mind at right now? Um, stuff like that. I mean, it's, this is where you have to get creative with it. Um, and this is, I mean, this is so much what I do when I'm working with individuals. Um, 
do you guys have a lunch break? Totally therapist dependent. Okay. Right? So that's another one. Um, and I mean, even talk about like how so much of this is connected to, to gut health. Um, meals is a really great place, really great reminder. When I sit down to eat a meal, before I am picking up a fork or engaging in eating, take a belly breath. Mm-hmm. Right? Take 10 seconds to just feel my body in my seat. Feel my feet. Yeah. Right? Um, so what we're getting at there is um, habit stacking, right? You're stacking things onto things that you're already doing yeah. and trying to do as much of that as you can throughout your day. Yeah, I, that's, that's really invaluable. Having done this profession for 15, 16, 17 years, adding some of these things, I can really see increasing and enhancing the longevity of my career or whoever's listening, their careers. I think it'll also increase your effectiveness in a given session. It's going to make you a better PT. It's going to make you a better athlete. Potentially it's going to make you a better employer employee. There's so much to gain there just so we have it like in a tight, um, in a tight bundle. The three things you would encourage to fight burnout would be, um, Sorry, are you talking like the actual, like the practices? Yes. Okay. So one, I think, um, we're going to have to edit this so that there's not a big pause. Um, so you essentially what you're, you want me to get at is like three, three diaphragmatic breathing. Um, okay, 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 got it. Okay. Um, okay. First one is definitely, uh, breath work. Breathwork being a nuanced practice, finding within breathwork what works for you, really trying to engage that diaphragm, what we call belly breathing. Two, uh, I would say one of my favorite practices is a mindful pause, and it is that very quintessential stop what you are doing. Put your phone down. Shift out of autopilot. Close your computer. Stop talking to people. Pause. Breathe. Pause. Notice. Where's my mind right now? Um, You can schedule that in as well. Set a timer. You can do that multiple times in a day. I certainly do. And that's kind of a halfway to a meditation practice. Um, I think three would be adding some type of um, mindful movement. And when I say mindful movement, I consider restorative postures in that. So legs up the wall. um, Going for a nice gentle walk would yeah. be a great one, right? Moving. That, like, putting those three things together, that should be a piece of what we're taught in graduate school. I mean, just yeah. those three things. Like, how do you survive your career as a PT? And I have to believe it's the same in the mental health world, where you are just absorbing people's pain and complaints. All the time. And by the way, goals or whatever it is that they're dumping on your plate, ways to drain that bucket uh, are essential. I I wish that was covered. And that might be the most important thing that you've shared thus far. I mean, that is gold in and of itself. So I appreciate you sharing that with with the audience. One last piece I want to get to is what are the red flags for which an athlete may report or show that we need to refer out for? Mm, gosh, that's a great one. 
So um, the first is, and you know, some of this is nuanced, right? Because it, it is also going to depend on how long you've been working with the athlete. Some of this is a little bit easier to tell when you've been working with an athlete longer. So the first one is going to be any uh, drastic change in mood. So is the athlete coming in one day and just a total like out of left field, like shift in mood, whether that's up or down. Um, the best way to describe it is like, that was weird. That was weird. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's a shift. And, um, you know, it, it, again, that's, it's one of those where that even not necessarily is like, oh my God, I've got to now refer this person. Like, this is where I think even, you know, some of this, I mean, gosh, you talk about like resources and what should be classes for PTs is like, Hey, how do you have some of these conversations of like, where are you at? Yep. Right. What is it? What is it? What is the the heart of communication? Right. Which is being able to listen. Um, you know, those are really profound skills that a PT needs yeah. to be able to determine some of this stuff. They, I'll tell you what they also need. They also need room in the schedule to spend yeah, time to with that. their patient to understand. Like I, I can envision a number of instances and setups where you have no idea if that mood is out of uh, norm because you don't know the patient. So, right. so I think you have to have the, the time to do that. Yeah. Gosh, which is like, I mean, that's even the case with us. Right. Sure. Um, so yes, um, hundred percent. I'm with you on that. Um, I think also being able to listen, pick up on how they're speaking to themselves is a big one. Athletes tend to be very critical on themselves, but when you start noticing language that could potentially be tied to their self-worth, okay. um, that's definitely a sign where it's like, hmm, like what's going on here? Like, how are you actually doing? Um, you know, the, the hardest part, right, is that we live in a culture, a society that asks how you're doing and we don't actually really want to know or not listen and people don't ever expect to really honestly answer how are you feeling so this is where again like i i love you guys and the work you do because we love you too you go you guys go above and beyond i see i mean every time i come in it's like you, you do have really genuine and authentic relationships with your clients i think that's so so important um look at also isolation so um you know, again, this is going to depend a little bit on how well you know the athlete or how long you've worked with them. But, you know, are they withdrawing? Are they, um, are there changes in their social activity? Are they, because we also have to remember that isolation is a massive piece of being injured. You're on the sideline. Right. More often than not, when kids are at practice, you're in the training room. So listening for, are they, also withdrawing even more outside of that. Um, are they getting out? Are they continuing to go to class? Are they continuing to hang out with their friends or speak with their family members? Right. So watching that isolation piece, um, that's for sure also going to be very tied into mood. Um, it is, I'll tell you, like I, I look into, um, a lot of those things and try to listen for those cues. I think, and so, so I think that's totally worthwhile. Another thing that I look at is massive shifts in weight and appearance. Yeah. And so we'll have a, a lot of college athletes 
we'll have a lot of athletes kind of leave, go to college, come back, and it's like, uh, you look very different. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're, and you're just like, you're keeping note in your head to see, is there a referral that needs to be made? I would humbly submit that as yeah. a red oh, flag. 100%. Um, yeah. And, and so when we go to, to look to refer out, how do we know who to send to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, also a fantastic question. Um, Emilyperrin.com. <laughs> no, stop it. Um, so... You know, I, I think it's important to remember that just like PTs, not all mental health clinicians are the same. We we all specialize in different things. Um, you know, you are looking for a mental health a licensed professional. So to be able to treat, diagnose, um, just like I believe PTs, right? You have to be licensed by the state. Sure. Same thing, right? Yep. So you're looking for... Um, whether it's a, a licensed counselor, whether it's a licensed social worker, a psychologist, or even a psychiatrist. The differentiator is that a psychiatrist is going to be dealing with medication. Um, I think medication has a purpose. It has a place. I think it does wonderful things. But my feeling has always been we don't need to start there. Um psychiatrists absolutely do psychotherapy and assessment and evaluation. So you really can't go wrong with any of those. Um, but yeah, you're looking for a a licensed mental health professional and it doesn't always need to be someone that deals with athletes. Mm -hmm. There are so many qualified, amazing clinicians. Um, you know, I'll be perfectly honest. Like let's talk about, uh, the weight issue, right? Eating disorders. Like I don't specialize in eating disorders. Do I treat people with them? Yeah. But I, that's not my, you know, bread and butter. Um, and so it's, you know, generally, right. When you're looking at a mental health clinician's bio, more often than not, they provide their trainings, the interventions that they use, the modalities that they use. And so that's really important information for, I mean, a parent, an athlete to know, like, what are the types of interventions they use? Like therapy is no longer just talk therapy, right? We're not moving in a time and a space where we just, you know, have people come in and sit on our couch and talk to us. Um, you know, I'm training in what's called somatic therapy, which is a very movement based mind body modality. That's completely different than someone that just does cognitive behavioral therapy. So really understanding some of that. And again, even just basic, like Google that in, we'll be able to tell you. Um, but then also like, you know, you guys can always ask me as well. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's totally valuable. And your point about it's very similar to PT. We, you know, we would say the same thing where it's like, you want to find someone that specializes, but you're also saying something that I think lands in that you got to build your network. Like I need, you know, when, when I got introduced to you, the title, the buy, it could have meant a million different things, but it's about getting to know the people who you're referring to. Then you can make an awesome match and referral and say, Hey, go see M. She's awesome at X. And it makes you the referring provider look even better. And it's going to be best for the patient. That's number one. So I think that really lands. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Okay. I want to, I want to wrap up with a lightning round. Oh gosh. Okay. Here we go. But it's got to be the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. You ready? Yep. The sport requiring the highest level of mental fortitude. Baseball. Good freaking answer. <laughs> and that's the right answer. I'm so <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. Only because I've worked so much in it at baseball, 100%. Because? <laughs> you fail so you much. You fail so much. That's a great point. Also, 
there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide. No, you're on an island always, and there's so many reps, right? Like so many you, reps, and there's there's not a lot of flow in the sport. So there's so much time for your brain to be elsewhere. I mean, that's, you know, talk about being able to ground and connect the brain to the present moment. Like when you're out in left field, right. And you, a ball hasn't come your way in three innings, right? Like, what are you thinking about? I, I mean, know. it's hundred percent. It's baseball. It's very scary yeah. to me. Just yeah. thinking about that. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Good answer. Next athlete you'd most love to work with. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I was going to say Serena Williams, but she's not, she's retired. <laughs> okay. But you would have said Serena, but now that you can't say Serena, you would say, um, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. Um, can I say a team? I encourage you to take deep breaths. Okay. And relax and pause. An athlete. No, you can't say a team. Yeah. I mean, is it Austin Kolish? Oh, love Austin. <laughs> what athlete? I don't know. No one's ever asked me that before. Well, that's why you're here on the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I would really love to maybe not work with, but have a conversation with Kevin Love. Good answer. Because? Um, he has done a tremendous amount for um, mental health awareness. His foundation is absolutely incredible. They also do a ton in like the work um, workshop and psychoeducation realm, which I'm super fascinated in. Um, I just love connecting with so much of this journey, this mental health journey, right? Everybody has a story and I just think his story and his willingness and vulnerability to share is super cool. Yeah. So Kevin Love, if you're listening, I'll have a conversation with you. Reach out. Yeah. You will? (laughs) Okay. You'll make time for that? Okay. Okay. Now, where is Emily Perrin in five years? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, lightning very similar to where i am now um continuing to do this work uh hopefully on you know more of a national and international level um and that's not because you know a a recognition piece that's just because i i genuinely believe in this work and i believe in changing lives and making sure that you know we are starting to reverse some of the mental health crisis that we are facing right now. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a massive crisis. Um, and I've seen your work and you obviously do outstanding work. You've helped me today get better. Amazing. Just in this conversation. I think you've helped this audience get better. And, and just think about that trickle down effect, like how many athletes are going to benefit from the thousands of sports PTs that are listening from what you just gave them. So I think you'll be at that stated goal in about a year mm. based upon that. So, um, You're congrats- the best. yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so congratulations on that. Thank you for joining us. Tell us where to find you. So active on all, really all platforms, not TikTok, cause like it's for the life of me, can't figure it out. Um, yeah. Instagram, uh, Emily Perrin, L M S W, uh, Twitter, Emily L Perrin, my website, my company is Perrin wellness and performance. You can find me uh, pretty much through any of those. That is, that's awesome. And obviously just so much to learn from you. I'm sure we'll have you back on. Thank you so much, so much for joining us. Yeah. Um, Appreciate your time. Thanks, Ah, Em. Thank you for having me. As always, I'm going to ask you for a favor. Please listen. 